Hello oh, and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast, the podcast that may sometimes be slightly later than planned, but it's always worth your time. My name is Chris, I'm your host, and uh, then there were two, um, just me and Jess this week, as uh, we've got a few few things to get through, um, Phil's unavailable, so it'll just be me and the tonight, Jess. How are you uh, How are you doing? It's pretty miserable in the UK, isn't it, weather-wise at the moment? Yeah, I've got the usual blues from clocks going back. But... Yeah, same, same. Yeah, it's the old sad disorder, isn't it? It's yeah. uh, not a fun time of year. And it's for me, I don't know about you, but for me this year, it hit like straight away that very next day of just sitting here in my office and then just looking out the window at half past three and it was pitch black. And I was just like, oh, God. I hate that Sunday, the first day every year. Yeah, same, same. Anyway, let's try and cheer ourselves up with with what we uh, enjoy the most, which is, of course, French football. So let's get into it. Now, three kind of clubs I want to put the focus on this week, and uh, we'll splice the results from the weekend in accordingly as well. And we've got a little bit of France news at the end to go through. Um, first club I want to put the focus on is the club we're, we're going to be watching tonight, I'm sure both you and I, and that is Marseille probably uh focus more on tonight's game than we will the weekend but we will just mention the fact that uh, their form or their patchy form did continue at uh, at the weekend was they drew with Strasbourg 2-2 away on Saturday evening Bamba Dieng remember him everybody yes he's still there uh he's got the opener on eight minutes and Kaboro the fullback put them two up and I think by Igor Tudor's own admission they were cruising at that point but it all went a little bit wonky in the second half as Motiva scored in back-to-back weeks and Kevin Gamero Still going strong with a, a cracker in the, I think it's a 94th minute to secure a point for Julian Stefan's men. But um, Marseille is, is kind of the story. Just give me your kind of, what's your thoughts ahead of tonight's game, Jazz? They play Tottenham. It's, it's basically a final. It's it's a one-off shot for them. They are, if they win, they're through. I think there are some permutations that they could draw and still go through, I think, but I don't believe that's worth risking i think it's quite complicated essentially they have to win and their form has not been great in liga is there an argument to suggest that maybe this is what their focus has been on for the past few weeks and that's why the league form has gone a bit i think it's definitely possible um if not i mean it's quite a coincidence that just as they started winning in champions league that's exactly when they lost their league form um so I think I think they've got to be a little bit distracted by that. I mean, frankly, you look at quite a few teams that have still got something to play for in the Champions League this week. A lot of them didn't have great results in 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 their respective leagues this weekend. So they're kind of not alone. Um, I think we've talked about how a couple of the matches they've had, like PSG, Lille, I mean, sorry, Lens are not kind of straightforward wins anyway. But yeah. You know, Ajaxio on one side and then giving away a 2-0 lead at, at Strasbourg is not great. Um, I, I feel like the, the, the start that Marseille had flattered them a little bit because I don't think they were playing sort of scintillating football and it wasn't the most um, searching set of fixtures to start a season with. And they're probably not as bad as, as their recent results suggest. I mean, the first half, of this match, they they totally outplayed Strasbourg, but I I just I, I'm still not sure that Tudor really knows who his best team is, or maybe he does, but he's sort of doing this on purpose and kind of mixing a lot to kind of keep everyone keen and keep the sort of competition up 
like between for places but I'm, i feel like maybe it's doing them the team a little bit of a disservice mm. um and you know Payet back in the team now Dieng as you said who looked like sort of persona non grata not that long ago um then you know resting players who who had been playing regularly like Rangier and Tavares and then them coming on and and not covering themselves in any glory for example I just yeah there's um I think possibly the the way that Tudor's kind of trying to create attention to within the dress changing room to um push everyone to their best might be a little bit counterproductive and and as we've already said a few times this season it's great while the results are there even if the performances aren't always but it doesn't take much for everything to drop off a cliff but all of that said there's enough players there who can win matches by themselves on their day and um spurs have not looked great away from home so far in the Champions League this year. Um, for what it's worth, Conti won't be on the bench. Um, yeah, forgot about that. It's yeah. at Marseille, and I, there's a partial stadium ban, but if they can still create a good hostile atmosphere, mm. um, I think, you know, there's... Tottenham definitely start as favourites, especially as they only need a draw. Mm. Um, and, you know, Conti teams are quite happy to um, park the bus so very much so and Marseille are probably at their best sort of drawing other teams onto them and then hitting on them break so it might be one of those matches which is just insipid to watch because neither team are, are both teams will be sort of waiting for the other team to actually play some football mm. but um it's it's definitely not out of the question that Mar- Marseille can get a result I mean it's not yes Spurs have got a better team on paper but I don't think it's you know there are there's no reason why a lot of those Marseille players can look at their direct opposition and say, you know, I've got the I've got the beating of them. Mm. Um, it, there's just it, players like Berlardi and Kalazinac. You worry mm. a little bit if they're turning out against Kane and Song, for example. Yeah, for sure. Was it, was it Brian Clough who once said the game is never won on paper? I think it might have been certainly one of the classic managers and they're definitely right. I, I'm just my only other question on on that Marseille situation. Well, two questions actually. One on on tonight. It's expected to be fifty five thousand, despite the stadium cl- uh, stand closure within the stadium. Like you said, that sort of hostile atmosphere is very much wanted. Although, let's keep it to on the pitch because I know there has been some suggestions that there might be some potential issues outside the ground before it kicks off. Let's hope not. Um, my question to you is: Does, does Igor Tudor have to? almost go against his principles you you may have sort of alluded to the fact that there might be this standoff this sort of chess game where both teams sit in their box and the the ball just stays on the center circle and they both go well go on then well no you go on then I really hope it's not that do you feel like Tudor has to almost step out of the box and he knows Conte well almost go after Spurs because like you said they're not in great form and they have to win this game Marseille realistically don't they yeah I mean the concern is that that they could be picked off by doing that but um when you've got players like Payet who really can win matches by himself and and uh you know even plays players like Harrit or Sanchez who's you know not what he was but is still can be a match winner there's no reason why they can't make some of the play um 
but I think I think there would there will be that fear that you know the usual sort of inferiority complex when faced with the Premier League team and and the feeling that um, if we're too open then we could be picked off. But you know, like they put put a very good performance in against PSG recently. I think PSG are better than Spurs, so um, they should yeah they should they shouldn't start with that inferiority complex. I think Tudor's got to sort of drill into them that they definitely got the beatings or beating of them. Even the first match, I mean, for a long time Spurs yeah. didn't look that comfortable, didn't look like they were going to win. So. Um, and it's, it's been a very weird group as well. I mean, Sporting, Marseille have done a double over Sporting, who've outplayed Spurs a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I really think they can go into this match with a lot of belief. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, for those who don't know, the state of the group is Spurs are top of the group with eight points and a plus one goal difference. Sporting and Eintracht Frankfurt level on seven points. Uh, minus or sorry, zero goal difference for Sporting Lisbon and then minus two for Eintracht Frankfurt. Marseille currently bottom uh, with six points. So if Marseille were to draw, they'd go to seven points. The only way they would then get through is I th- I, I, actually I'm saying this. Does it go to goal difference? It goes to head to head, doesn't it? So I think if they were to if they were to draw and Sporting Lisbon were to lose, Marseille would go through on the head to head over Sporting. I believe. I think that's how it works. Don't quote me on that. Christ, I should have I should have researched this, shouldn't I? Put it this way: I I think, and I think you agree with me. They need to go into this game looking to win it. That's that's the bottom line. And yeah, I mean, I see maybe what they'll do is sort of keep it tight first half, and then see if they can be a bit more expansive in the second half. You yeah. know, someone like like Sanchez and Payet. You know, maybe that they feel like they can't be at sort of hundred percent for ninety minutes anymore, but. Again, players like that don't need to be if they can find a little bit of magic somewhere. Yeah, moment of brilliance. So basically, an Alexis Sanchez with a Guendouzi assist hat trick is what's incoming tonight. The ex Arsenal connection. Um, that would be quite. Tavares keeping clean sheet. Yeah, and Kalasanac cheering them on from the sidelines. Gotta love it, haven't you? The script has been written. Um, just very briefly as well before we move on. Um, really, I guess a one-word answer. Does does this does this match tonight dictate whether Marseille have any sort of challenge in Liga? Um, I don't think they have any challenge in Liga. No, I would agree. <laughs> I had to ask, but I would agree. No, I hesitated because I, I didn't know. Do you mean if they win? I, I guess I mean a challenge? If, if they lose, does their season basically fall apart is what I'm asking, I suppose, because they would drop into the Europa depending on the, well, into the playoff for this Europa, however that's going to work, don't ask. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm asking is, do, does their season kind of unravel if they don't make it through this 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 game tonight? You know, do they sort of drift into those fourth spit fourth fifth spots in Liga and, and the season peter away a little bit? It shouldn't unravel because they should be challenging for Champions League places. Yeah, I think, you know, even though they sort of kept toe to toe with PSG for the first few weeks, they were never really. I don't think title challengers, mm. um, and I don't think they have the second best squad in the league. But um, they've got sort of the nous and the experience, and you know I don't think they've had they had the second best squad last year, for example. So they definitely should be challenging for Champions League. Um, mm. I suppose it depends if you define that as petering out or not. But as a Wenger fan, I see me don't. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I I just I would like nothing more tonight than than Spurs to drop out 
altogether, um, which I know is an unlikely situation. But um, yeah, I mean, all them going into the playoff Europa League and then losing that would be even funnier. Or of course, dropping into the Europa League and us beating them either way. But uh, from a from a strictly um, biased persuasion from French football side, I'd like to see Marseille go through. We shall see what happens. Um, another club that are in European action, which we actually haven't focused on for a while, so I thought I'd slip them into the running order tonight, is PSG. They um they limped uh, to a, a win over Twilight the weekend, and uh, maybe I'm being harsh a little bit. I mean, they were fairly in control of the game for long periods, but I, th- I think it's fair to say sort of put them under the skids a few times in this game. It was the early game on Saturday. Uh, Malabel, they put them in front. Twa, that is. Carlos Soler equalised. Uh, Bolde then put them back in front. Uh, so 2-1 to Twa before Leo Messi, Neymar and Mbappe's penalty kind of secured the winner at 4-2 with a late goal from Palaversa for Twa making the score a little bit more predictable, a little bit more uh, um, palatable, I guess, for, for Twa. And I think they will look back on this and think, oh, we had a missed opportunity. PSG, though, the, we saw Kimpembe come back into this side. Um, his defending, particularly for the first goal, was questionable at best. Uh, I think the second was equally bad. Is this is Galtier in a situation now where his sort of squad players, the Renato Sanchez's, the Kimpembe's, the, the Carlos Soler's, he's almost got an embarrassment of riches here. Is that sort of progression Champions League-wise for PSG all about him finding a settled side? Is it a back three? Is it a back four? Does he play M&M, quote-unquote, every game? Because some people are now looking at, at PSG's front line saying, actually, it's Mbappe that's maybe the lesser of the three in terms of form. And that defence, I mean, it you know, however much experience Ramos has got, he, he's, he's turning like a truck these days. And like I say, Kimpembe just never looks secure to me. They aren't seemingly going to use Mikel as a centre-back. So then you're looking at Marquinhos or Bust, and that's pretty much what we've had for the last two years. What's your views on their European progression, shall we say, in, in, in terms of where they are? Because they're through. But do you, like me, have some concerns that if they draw one big club, they're at serious risk if they don't sort out the formation and decide upon this defence? I think they're better set up than they have been for a long time in the sense that of the the front three are obviously in great form, which hasn't, which wasn't the case last year. And for the couple of years before that, it was Mbappe and not Neymar. Um, there's more of a functioning midfield with more options as well. Ferrati, we know is excellent as long as he's not getting suspended or injured. But now Vitinha has been this crucial link between midfield and attack or defence and attack. Soler looks like he's, the last couple of weeks, getting sort of up to speed. I think Ruiz has looked really good already. Um, so there's already a little bit more of a midfield there. And I've always thought that that's been the main PSG problem. But I still think defence now is a big problem. And as you said, whether whether he goes with a back three or a back four, essentially the, you know, Marquinhos is definitely there, but not been there, not been it his usual high standards this season. And then Kimpembe or Ramos or both. As you said, Ramos, I think, is well past it. And Kimpembe, you know, we'll talk about the France squad later. And arguably, if you ask me, the, the worst news is Kimpembe might be fit for it. Um, I just, I really think he's useless. And okay, this match, he'd only just come back. So we'll let him off a little bit. But 
look, when Mbappe, Neymar and Messi are at the top of their game, PSG have got a right to front up to anyone and say, we don't care how many you'll score, we'll score more. And that may well be true. But you kind of feel like they need a stable, solid, quality defence. And I'm not 100% sure they've got that. I still think Donnarumma has his off periods. And yeah, there's no one behind those defenders. And as I said, even two thirds of their starting centre-back three, I think, are dodgy. So I still, yeah, there's issues there. Mm. What's what's your kind of, um, as you say, we'll touch on Kimpembe and we'll, we'll talk about France a little bit later on, but would you be looking at back four? Would you be looking at back three? Do they even need to be looking at, at the January market to actually secure? Because they looked at Milan Skriniar, didn't they, in the summer? And, and that was clearly a, an idea that they wanted another marquee centre-half. I, I wouldn't, I do agree with you. I think Ramos is, is, is past it in terms of, I think he'll get found out if they get very deep in the competition. I think he's fine to, you know, over two legs, you can play him in one leg and play You know, I think he's fine at the gun level. He's fine at the group stage, but at the very top level, he's, you know, his shithousery is not going to get get them very far, I don't think. So it, it is maybe that market, the January market, when they know we're heading into a World Cup now that they can switch off from Champions League after tomorrow's game. Is it a case of, of maybe looking at the market and actually bringing in a, a marquee, Centre back to to partner Marquinhos because I feel like Marquinhos's form has <clears throat> dipped in the time that he hasn't had a regular partner. If that makes sense, it feels like he's crying out for that regular partner and to build something much like sort of Liverpool did with Van Dijk, for example. Whether that's said about them, the better at the moment. But is that the key? Um, possibly, but the January market is difficult, and it depends who you can bring in and. Um, you know, the two things that we've said before, firstly, that, yeah, Gautier and Campos were very clear that they wanted a centre-back and a top-quality number nine, and they didn't get either of them, and they're not very happy about it. Um, and the second thing is, as I said, the front three, as long as they stay fit, informed and motivated, they could well be fine, however many they, they concede. But, as we said, at least two of them will return from the World Cup not very happy. And... I'm sorry to Neymar bash again, but as fantastic as he is, he has been this season. No, I'm not. He's. I think it's just highlights what a disgrace he's been for the last couple of years. That suddenly, because you know his pride has been peaked by Mbappe having this mega deal, and maybe with the night of the World Cup, suddenly he's remembered he's a professional footballer. Um, but after the World Cup, say Brazil win it. Even if they don't, he could be like, well, that's my season done now. I've done the bit I was really motivated for. Mm. Yeah, I, I do, like you said, I mean, I suppose, I guess you could say the same about Messi, you know, is it his upturn in form, anything to do with this World Cup? But then I, I guess you could level that at any player in Europe who, you know, who's got a chance of getting in the squad or got a chance of winning the thing, I guess. The, I the think for Messi, you could at least say that, first of all, you know, last season was you know, his first ever season that he wasn't amazing. And yeah, even then, you know, new new club, whatever, and he ends up with 13 assists or whatever it was. That's not bad. It's just we're judging him by Messi standards. Yeah, which are, um, which are outrageous. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he spent his whole career at one club and he moves to another country and another culture and another language and another team and all that. 
it's fair enough that there's a bit of an adjustment period. So I'll let him off a little bit, even though I'm sure he's super motivated because this is definitely his last World Cup. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, d- I wouldn't put him in the same boat as Neymar. And arguably, he didn't necessarily. Ne- <laughs> I say I, I say this loosely, but he didn't really want to leave. Let's be honest, did he? I mean, no. you know, that, that's the thing. So um, I know if somebody said to me, "Look." this is this is your new or my my workplace for example said right this is your new role um if you want a job this is what you're going to have to do you know i probably would be a bit cheesed off for a few months until i adjusted and accepted it so i mean it you know i I guess there is a part of that as well but um i heard he wanted to go to brighton but we already had a ginger argentinian number 10 (laughs) stranger things have happened so there's there's there is (laughs) maybe not actually to be fair there is still some talk of him going to MLS at the end of the at the end of his contract, although PSG are quite keen to nail him down to a new deal in January. It seems so we will watch that space. Um, interestingly, they, they might have a few other things that they might have to deal with in January. We shall see. Um, a couple of other results before we turn a spotlight on one of the clubs down at the other end of the table. Uh, Lance got their goal scoring goal scoring shoes back on, or more specifically, Lewis Appenda. Uh, I was having a chat with. Uh, our friend of the pod, Adam uh, Virgo, on on Friday, I think he was doing the doing the the game, and he asked me, he, I don't know if he said the same to you. He's like, "Why is it that that Lons are not getting the goals, or you know, what what why yeah, is that?" Yeah, and and I don't know if you said the same, but I was like, "Well, basically, it's Sotoka or bust at the moment because the Pandas form sort of gone off a cliff, and they're just not finding the the deliveries to them." And then, of course, that night, Lewis Appendus scores a hat trick. I, I, I said to him, like, I gave various other reasons, and I was going to write. Appenda looks all right, but a little bit raw. Yeah. I didn't bother sending it. And then <laughs> good job, really. I also <laughs> highlighted Jimmy Cabo's injury because I felt like since they've lost him, obviously it was Klaus last season. Jimmy Cabo's been delivering to the strikers a lot this season and his injury. I wonder if that might affect it. But they they certainly got back on track in this particular game. And yeah, the hat trick from Appenda in just under 30 minutes secured the win over Toulouse. Um, we covered the two Saturday games on Sunday. Auxerre celebrated their new managerial appointment. Christophe Policier is in there, the Formula 1 coach. Uh, Saki with the winning goal on eight minutes in a game that saw and by Niang. And uh, Cedric Avinel sent off, uh, one sending off a piece there. And a good win for Auxerre. And I think it's fair to say Ajaxio's form continues to be iffy. Uh, that's sort of result at Marseille aside, they are in trouble. Uh, Nantes and Claremont played out a 1-1 draw. Uh, Mohamed Mus- uh, sorry, Mustafa Mohamed getting the equaliser from Neto Borges opener for Claremont. Kind of a result doesn't really help Nantes' current predicament, although better news in Europe for them at the moment. Brest and Rouse played out a 0-0 draw. I'm probably less about this game, the better it wasn't a particular thriller. Martin Terrier continued his fantastic form. I've read a stat that only Harry Kane has got more headed goals in European football than Martin Terrier this season, which is quite the thing. Um, although Kane likes penalties as well, but we'll move on. Uh, Terrier was indeed the opener for Rent against Montpellier, who, as of time of recording, we still don't know their situation managerially. Kalim Wendo and Amin Guiri. I think that's five and five for Guiri. I believe that is correct. He's certainly finding some consistency at last. And uh, Ren March on. Therefore, shows no sign of dropping off. Montpellier's, though, very much the opposite way around. Uh, Lorient and Nice. Um, basically, Nice got out of jail uh, massively in this game. I may be slightly biased, but uh, Dango Atara 
put Lorient in front in the first half. It probably should have been four, maybe five at half time. But Casper uh, Schmeichel, of course, decided that this was the game that he was actually going to turn into performance for Nice. Uh, he kept them at bay several times. I do question some of the finishing from Lorient, if, I, if I'm completely honest. But uh, Yusuf Attal slalomed his way through to equalise on 61 minutes and Gaetan Laborde with uh, one of those goals where it hits the back of a defender, flies over the goalkeeper, and you just know your, your luck's not in that day, unfortunately. But fantastic winning run comes to an end, or unbeaten run comes to an end. Nice very much needing that result. And uh, the final game of the weekend saw Lyon beat Lille 1-0. Um, I was really looking forward to this, and it just didn't. Like, <laughs> it just didn't deliver. Alexandre Lacazette uh, securing the winning goal from close range in the 74th minute after Jonathan David had had a, had a lovely evening hitting the post and the crossbar. He was really unlucky, actually, with, with the sort of dink over Lopez that came back off the face of the bar and he looked to the heavens and he just thought, yeah, it's not Lille's night. But um, yeah, Leon two wins out of two, but there's still plenty of work to be done for Laurent Blanc. They were so tepid in this game, especially for the home side, but a win is a win nevertheless. The um, one game I've left out of there is Monaco's tuna win over Angers. Brilliant. Yeah, just on on that match. Yeah, sure. To be fair, um, I thought Blanc made some sort of at- active tactical changes. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. At half time, which did change, not change the match, but you know, Le Pen on coming on. Lyon were pretty much outplayed in the first half, and at least that um, made a, a sort of the contest in the second half and obviously yeah it was you know on the balance of play they often feel very hard done by but give give Blanc a little bit of credit I think yeah 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 that's fair yeah that, that is fair it, I'm, I'm just salty because it wasn't a very good game to watch <laughs> that's what it is uh, but so uh, yeah Monaco beating Angers by two goals to nil Breland Bolo and, and a cracker from Alexander Golema securing the points for Monaco um, who I think it's fair to say their form is, is getting better. They're, they're certainly on the rise, um, although they did concede late on to Ferencvaros in the uh, Europa League last week. So that ended in a 1-1 draw. They've got Red Star Belgrade on Thursday to try and qualify from their group. But Angers is, is the story. Um, what's your kind of thoughts? As far as I know, Batty Clay is, is, still, is still in appointment as we speak, as far as I'm aware. It, have they got to make a change though? I mean, I think, like like you said on a previous podcast, he he did a fantastic job coming in to replace what was a, a legend in, in Moulin, and it's very much the sort of Man United David Moyes effect, isn't it? Like, you know, how do you replace a legendary manager? But it, it's just not going well, is it, for Angers? And, and I wonder how long they can maintain this five straight defeats, minus seventeen goal difference. They're bottom of the league. We've we've said a hundred times now that this is the season where four go. They're getting cut adrift and something has to change. What's your kind of view on, on that? Why is it going so badly? Because they just seem to look like they're going to concede at every attack I seem to watch them in. I think there's a couple of reasons. I, th- they're, I think they're, they're a bit of a mess in the background in terms mm. of the, the sort of setup and infighting between directors, that kind of thing. Um, I, don't, but I don't put any of the blame on Batik, by the way. I think he's doing what he can with the team he's got. Mm. Um you know, they don't have sort of prolific strikers. Um, they're sort of relying very much on the mercuriality or whatever the word is of, of players like Buffal. Um, they've lost Fulgini, who was their sort of 
Swiss army knife of, of players. You know, he's like Tolisso could kind of play in any position, but was probably their best player in all of those positions. And most of all, bear with me. I mean, I'm not saying these players necessarily are still league and position um, quality because of their age or whatever, but I'm just, this will take a while as I go through transfer marks, but you know, in the summer they lost Romain Thomas, who's got, uh, God, this is going to take ages. Um, but basically they've lost in the summer. They got rid of a lot of players who all had around sort of 500 professional appearances to their names. So, you know, Toma, Mosso, Traore, um, that's another one in midfield. What's his name? Mongani. These are, that's uh, Cabo, as you said, you know, as you mentioned, he went to Lens. That's a hell of a lot of experience, um, important players who, you know, even if they can't do it week week in, week out, performance-wise, they had a lot of nous. They had a lot of sort of experience and will to win. You know, even Toma and Traore, the number of important goals that they would score from centre-back, um, you can't replace that kind of thing easily. And I do think they 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 have a few talents in their team. They lost Cho, obviously, as well, who was their yeah. real sort of jewel in the crown of last year. Um, so it's a big squad or certainly starting eleven revamp. And a huge loss of experience and quite a big loss of quality as well. So I think that there's only so much that anyone in that role would be able to do. And and yeah, especially with four going down, I think that they're in they're in huge danger. Mm. Is it is it a lot a lot of calls sounds a bit dramatic, but whether Bertiklis stays or or doesn't, is that do you think they've got enough? I mean, like you said, that that squad in itself looks like there's enough quality to be the fifth worst team in the league if that's the way to put it but do you do you feel like that you know are they leaving it too late I guess is, is my question because going into this World Cup I mean they they've, they've got to register they've got to snap this losing streak haven't they that's the key thing because if, if they don't then it's it, it could be curtains very very quickly and they play yeah exactly yeah and that's the and then, but then I guess when you look at it the other way around, when they come back, sure they've got Ajaxia, which is on December the twenty seventh. Then they go or they play at home to Lorient away at PSG, so it doesn't get any easier. Um, but yeah, do, do you do you, regardless of how you feel about particular, do you, do you feel like they're going to look to replace him, or do you think that does your gut say that they will stick with it? I think they would probably get rid at some point, just because that's obviously what you know the go to thing that most directors do you know to try to come up with some kind of electric shock or change something or you know even sort of I don't know three wins in a new coach honeymoon period or bounce could be the difference between survival and and relegation but I just I just don't think the squad's good enough unfortunately and um you know you look we always say you kind of have to look at the mini league around you and, and get points against them and and you know, even with with the likes of Montpellier and Strasbourg struggling, you don't can't really see them staying down there for that long. Um, I think Trois and Clermont are probably overachieving based on what you might have thought at the start of the season. So, otherwise, it's probably the teams you'd think of down there. And and um, you know, while I, I can see a Brest putting a few results together, or even Auxerre and Nantes 
certainly not also probably as well stringing a, a couple of important wins here and there when they need to I just like I can't really see Angers doing that I, th- I mean to be fair you know they shouldn't be judged on an away match to Monaco and they were for a lot of that match they sort of ma- matched is maybe too strong a word but Monaco were made to work hard for it. They needed to bring on some of their starters um, to change the match. They needed a bit of a worldie from from Golovin, who I still think is one of the most overrated players in Liga. Um, so they certainly didn't make it straightforward. They arguably could have had a penalty, uh, missed a couple of good chances as well. So it wasn't things. Not things did go their way. They they made a match of it against in a match where you would never have expected them to get anything. So they need to try to sort of take the positives out of that and say, look, if we perform like that um, in our little mini league matches, then we should get some results. It's just the defence looks shaky. It doesn't look like they've got any reliable goal scorers. And apart from that, it's great. Yeah, it's all it's all gone to shit. But other than that, it'll be fine. It'll just be fine. Just, oh, just apart from the goal, apart from the scoring goals and conceding goals, they look all right. <laughs> they look all right. Yeah, just just smile and wave, everybody. Smile and wave. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I do. I sort of get the feeling like a change is probably coming. Like you said, if for nothing else, just from the pressure that that is exerted on the board from from the fans and you know those looking in, you just feel that something has to change. And like, I mean, they've I think... got comfortably the worst defensive records. Yeah. Well, comfortably, actually, only three better than Trois, but still. Yeah. Um, you know, Brest come close, but Brest conceded seven in the match. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the term you use sort of, you know, almost electrotherapy. It, it is kind of almost like that, isn't it? It's to sort of jumpstart a team making a change. Um, Just you feel like that's what's going to come. Uh, but yeah, we shall see. What but I happens. do like. I mean, not only because he did very well at Mess as a player, but I do like Batik, and as I said, I feel a little bit sorry for him. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel for him. It's, it is, you know, as you say, coming into replace a legendary manager is just never the one. But um, yeah, we shall but see. I think, yeah, it's not that. I mean, I think he, you know, he did make positive changes last year, and for. Certainly the first part of last season, they played some good football and got some good results. But like I said, when you're selling your... It's very difficult when you're selling your top player, usually your top goal scorer, year in, year out, to Mm. keep replacing them. And then when you're also losing, you know, five or six players in one go who've got four or five hundred matches under their belt each, that's really hard to replace. Yeah. Yeah, I do do agree. Do agree. It's uh, one thing for sure. They're going to have to, they're going to have to find something. Um, you you feel in one of those two games before the World Cup break, however difficult uh, they are. We've um, covered PSG and and uh, and Marseille in Europe. Just very briefly, looking at the other teams in Europe this week in the Europa League, uh, Ren are already through in their group. It's a straight fight out between them and Fenerbahce as to who will get top spot and uh, the the fixtures. On Thursday, Pitt, Dynamo Kiev, home to Fenerbahce, whereas Ren are home to Lanarka of Cyprus. So you kind of feel like if Ren can get that win, that's a pretty tough assignment for Fenerbahce away. Uh, Ren could secure top spot in that particular group. Um, it also in the Europa League, we've got uh, Nantes, who I did mention earlier on, they did get a win over Karabag very late as well. Ganago 
after Blas had put them in front. Uh, Osrabic had uh, equalised for Karabag, but Ganago's, I think it's 90, 93rd, 94th minute winner, secured jubilant scenes and uh, means that Nantes are still in with a shout in that group. They're currently sitting third, a point behind Karabag in that particular group. And the final match day sees Olympiakos hosting Nantes. It's a tough ask for Nantes to go away and win there. Karabag are at home to Freiburg, who are already secured as winners of the group. So there's a chance. Here's a chance. You never know. And uh, Monaco in the uh, Europa League, they are in second place, seven points uh, behind Ferenc Varos in their particular group. They drew 1-1 in that game. They host Red Star Belgrade, who are bottom, uh, technically bottom six points, joint third, if you will. And uh, Trabzonspor host Ferenc Varos. Trabzonspor also need to win to uh, potentially get out of that group. So that one's all to play for. It's very much like the Marseille group uh, for that one. So um, every chance in, in that particular set of fixtures for Monaco to get through, we shall see. And we will, of course, cover those games uh, next week when we come back. Um, Europa League, I should I should also cover, shouldn't I? Nice, they beat Partizan Belgrade by two goals to one. In their last game, and Nicola Pepe and Mary Lamina, of all people, scoring the goals in that particular game. And looking at their group, what are they? Group D. They are, if I can finally get the tables up, there we go. They are currently top of that group on eight points, but Partizan a joint top with eight. And FC Cologne, I've got seven. So again, goes to the final day. Nice go away to Cologne. So realistically, they need to avoid defeat, you would suggest. Partizan host Slovakia who are bottom, so you'd imagine they will probably win. So once again, it's uh, all to play for in that particular group. So that's where we stand in Europe. Right. Um, before we look ahead to the weekend's fixtures, just a brief line on France from you, if I may. Um, I saw a lot of um, wringing of hands and um, possibly wringing out of, of hankies this week as I know this will shock everyone, but Paul Pogba, uh, in his attempt to get back from uh, a long-standing injury to make the World Cup, has had another injury and has broken down and basically is all but out of the tournament. Um, I, I don't suspect that will have surprised you uh, in terms of you know fair play to him for making the effort, but it's in vain. Where are you standing? You mentioned Kimpembe being fit. Uh, probably means he's going to go. There's some suggestions that Maxwell's Kekere is going to work his way into the 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 uh, the lineup now with Pogba being out, really? yeah, that that is that is hot off the press. That's the suggestion, and I was surprised as, as you were, to be perfectly honest. I think he's hugely talented, but I, I wouldn't have him in ahead of a few other names at the moment. Um, and then there is also still some suggestion, as I think I muted a few weeks ago, that Martin Terrier might force his way in, as might Callum Wendo in one of the forward options, but we shall see. I'm getting as worried as you are now, to be honest. You know, we're what two weeks away two and a half weeks away from this world cup this this french team is looking a bit of a mess isn't it you know when you look at even players that are in it loris's form at the moment we know that Kante and pogba are now out what, what was your thoughts on the pogba situation i guess first of all it didn't surprise you did it to see him break down in this quest to get back in no i mean i think as we said even even if he managed to sort of show enough fitness to get back in the squad i just can't see how he would have been anywhere near functioning at 100%. And I'm not sure Deschamps would have necessarily sort of risked him or certainly started starting with him anyway. But it's still, I think, a big blow because, again, a lot of experience there, but more so just 
you know, go on YouTube and search for his pre-match pep talks against uh, Argentina and Belgium and Croatia in the last World Cup. He's he's so important from that point of view. And frankly, also, if and when the Benzema-Mbappe partnership isn't functioning, Griezmann, but he's basically excluded by the other two, isn't working, as in the Euros, their only other tactic was Pogba pinging long diagonal balls, which are great. It's not the worst thing in the world because they are very good balls. But that means that we don't even have our sort of usual go-to plan B there. So that is a concern on top of all the other concerns. Um, Conte is a is a obviously a huge loss as well. We've just sort of got used to that one a little bit earlier, I think. So, yeah, despite... Aside from everything else going on and also doubts about Varane and, as you said, question marks over Loris, even though he usually turns up for France, um, you know, will Giroud be in the squad? Won't he? Can Benzema and Mbappe sort of get through matches without stepping on each other's feet? Um, There's lots of issues there and, and not having your two crucial midfielders who've never lost a match that they've started together for France is is a big loss. Now, I think Chiromeni has, has really performed well when he's played for France. So I'm kind of not worried about one of those positions being filled, but it's the other one I'm worried about. And you know, I hadn't heard about Kakare as much as I love him. That That's a big surprise. Um, you'll probably sort of have your preference for Genduzi, and he probably would be the favourite at the moment, but I'm yeah. still not absolutely convinced about him. Firstly, at the top level, and secondly, the pressure of the top level with his temperament, even though it's improving. Um, Rabiot, still... Oh, God. No, I, I really... I, <laughs> it's, n- it's nothing against him. It's it's just the... It, it's just the, like, can we not do better? Do you know? And I, He hasn't really... His form's not been been bad, but Juventus have struggled this season. I, I, I just, I kind of, I know. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you. I almost feel like if if we're gonna, this World Cup kind of doesn't count for all the reasons we've discussed before, but in reality, it it also does. I almost just feel like just go for it, you know. Let let's stick Shuamani in. Let's stick a Gunduzi in with him, or or a, yeah. I mean, I I personally think Kamavinga. This is going to come one tournament too too early for him, but let's go balls out. Let let's let's try something new or you know, play Griezmann sort of a bit deeper and and actually go with a front man like Giroud. Although we know that's not going to happen. I just sort of feel like Rabiot's a bit of a step backwards again. Do you, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being harsh. I, I guess you feel I might be being a bit harsh there. Yeah, I th- I think you are. I think I don't think you. You know, there's all the off pitch stuff that often obscures his on the pitch. And yeah, he's not the most stellar player, but you don't. You know, this is someone who started at PSG, went to Man City for whatever reason. He didn't stay there. Went back to PSG, was a regular, and we all forget. You know that all the acrimony when he left because he didn't renew his contract. PSG wanted to renew his contract. This was someone who often performed for them in Europe when no one else did. Um, he moved on to Juventus and yeah, okay, they've got lots of issues there and Allegri's kind of vulnerable, but he's still playing him most weeks. But this isn't a bad player. Um, Man United desperately wanted him in the summer. Um, 
So I, I think he gets too much bad press, partly because of what happens off the pitch. By the way, I think his mum gets too much bad press as well. Um, and partly because I don't think his performances are as bad as, as people say. And I think, you know, also this is someone, remember, who, who after what happened in the last World Cup, Deschamps sort of um, pretty much not excluded him, but he wasn't pickable in Deschamps' eyes for a couple of years. And he's forced his way back into the squad and basically become pretty much a fixture in the squad. And is that kind of player who it may turn out to be sort of like that Matuidi character who accidentally becomes very important because he's able to sort of fill a position that no one else can or um, solve a problem that that no one else is capable of solving. So I certainly don't have an issue with him being in the squad. And... To be honest, because of that kind of experience and the clubs he's played for, my personal view is if it was a straight choice between Genduzi and Rabio, I would start with Rabio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, and I, as you say, I am probably being harsh, and and I, I do appreciate. I, you know, I don't even dislike Rabio as a player. I like you. I think he's had some unnecessary stick in the past. I just, I just sort of feel like we, if there was ever a World Cup, or if there's ever a time to, to change it up. Now is that time? Do you, do you feel like Shumani is going to be the one? By the way, do you feel like he will be he will be in regardless of who the oh, definitely if he's fit? Absolutely, I think. I mean, frankly, if Conte and Pogba were in the squad, I would probably start with Shumani now. But I think, in terms of sort of obviously fitness and recent performances, he's the one that's proven himself more than the other two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you think of the midfielders that we had two or three years ago who were supposed to probably be at their prime in this World Cup, like Awar, like Ndombele, like Ren Adelaide. Obviously with him, it's, it's slightly different because of injuries. Um, trying, I'm sure there's others. Camavinga, who frankly has plateaued and has been really disappointing and by all accounts hasn't particularly impressed with sort of attitude with the France squad either. Mm. Um, you know, midfield should be the area... It looked like that was going to be the the main great area for France for for years to come, and and frankly, it has become a bit disappointing in a way. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. As, as we said on previous podcasts, we will probably touch on on what's new with France, sort of you know weeks or the next couple of weeks before the tournament kicks off, and then of I think we will... I think maybe Kunde is out now, which I also think is not such a big loss. Yeah, is, is that... I don't understand the fuss about him. But even Chiromeni's injured now, so yeah, hopefully it's not a long term thing. Luca Hernandez is back in training for Bayern Munich. So that's one small, small bonus. But um, I think you've that... just got to hope that it sort of evens out. In, yeah. It sounds horrible, but there's going to be, there's so many injuries because these players are being overworked. There's going to be more injuries before the World Cup. And God knows what's going to happen after the World Cup. Oh, God, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. And, and France are not going to be, let's not forget, France are not going to be the only club or only club, the only country without certain players, without high-end players. There's a lot of teams, you know, that are, I know England are, are suffering quite a few defensive injuries at the moment as well. So I'm sure it's not just going to be France. And of course, even before the training camps, there isn't really a training camp, is there? It's straight in. So, 
you know, we are going to see some weakened nations and, and maybe this will be the World Cup where a few teams you don't expect to do well suddenly do. Just because well, What I'm hoping time. is that, you know, Italy have always got a very good record when there's been some huge sort of controversy or scandal in Italian football in the lead up mm. to the World Cup. They usually do very well. France often do badly when everyone's expecting them to win and they sort of get a little bit too big for their boots. So I'm hoping that all this stuff sort of dampens expectations and it might work well for them. But I really don't expect them to win. No. I just think the and timing, guess... the injuries, everything else that's going on, frankly, the fact that it's in Qatar, I think, which will favour, um, you know, maybe South American countries. Yeah, more more cl- uh, countries that are acclimatised to it. And I guess the question with without Italy being there this year, who's going to be the shithouse? <laughs> that gets through uh maybe this is the maybe this is the year that that canada win the world cup or switzerland go deep or who knows who knows but um yeah we will we will worry about that in a fortnight's time we do have is it two rounds of league on left starting this week friday the 4th of november we've got trois hosting Osea. that's one for the purists if ever i've seen it but um i will probably give it a look because why not you know uh jaxio against strasbourg i think it's more promising than a yeah, yeah actually rest against Haas, which really lived up to no expectation. No expectation at all. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Jacksy against Strasbourg, that's that's one that uh, is is really important for both sides uh, heading into that World Cup break as um, both struggling down the wrong end of the table. That's four o'clock on Saturday. Angers, as we mentioned earlier on, hosts Lens on the evening game on Saturday. That will be worth the watch because whoever wins or doesn't win that game, that could prove pivotal. Uh, in terms of both ends of the table. Lorient against PSG, I shall, of course, be watching from behind the sofa, although the record at Le Mistoire against PSG is not that bad. So that's the 12 o'clock game on Sunday. Uh, Clermont against Montpellier is one of the two o'clock games, as is Nice against Brest, uh, Rams against Nantes, and Toulouse against Monaco. The three clubs there in European action this week. And then on Sunday afternoon slash evening, uh, 4.05pm UK kickoff is Lille against Rennes. That one certainly looks tasty. And uh, speaking of tasty, Marseille host Lyon, uh, which is the uh, the Sunday evening game. Um, after the, the brilliance of the 4-3 between uh, Lille and Monaco, um, expectations are high. I'm just asking both these clubs, please. Can we just can you just go for it? Like none of this sitting off. I, I want I want an, another enjoyable Sunday evening, please. So I should be relying on those two. Although based upon what happens tonight, we'll be interested to see what Marseille we get on Sunday. Right. I'm guessing that's going to be one of the ones where it will probably be fun to watch, but not for the football. No, I agree. I I, I suspect. Uh, I think if Phil was here, she would um she would have mentioned there maybe a few cards in this particular game. Um, but yeah, we we shall see and maybe a bit of off the pitch as well. But hopefully not, because uh, as the saying goes, nobody wants to see that. Right. Everybody wants to see that. I can't say that, Jess. I'll get cancelled. Uh, right. We'll leave it there for this week then. Um, thank you for being patient. Obviously, we are a day later than planned. But uh, as I said, we're worth waiting for, aren't we, boys and girls? Uh, if you have got any any uh, sort of feedback or anything you want to ask us, as always, drop us a tweet. Um, if not, we appreciate you tuning in and listening as always. Jess, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. In, in the most important French football news... Mess are actually 11 minutes away from winning a match. Jesus Christ. Right, we're going to get off here before I jinx it. Um, <laughs> good luck no, to I you. I just did, probably. <laughs>
Yeah, you probably did. Right. Uh, we're all off to cheer on Marseille. Uh, I never thought I'd say that, but I am. So until next week, uh, enjoy your French football. Let's hope for good results in Europe for all the French clubs involved. And we'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>